0: Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. This episode is unusual in that I'm going to present a recording that was made in the year 2001, originally onto an audio cassette and then recently digitized, and edited down so that... After a brief introduction, it's limited to my remarks, not all the music and other events that went on that day. And what's unusual about this, and the reason I'm setting the stage, is that this presentation was made in Glendale, California, to an annual event called the Mayor's Prayer Breakfast. Now, this is largely a Christian event, and as you know and the audience found out, (laughs) we speak about spirituality from a point of view of mysticism and comparative religion. And so my references in this address to Christ and the Buddha nature and all religions being separate paths to one thing or the unitive nature of the cosmos as one life struck a variety of chords and really wasn't what the audience, most of them anyway, was expecting. So you might want to consider the context as you listen to what at first might sound like me being exclusively Christian in my approach, and yet that's not the case, as you'll discover in my presentation Again, in the year 2001, of the theme Unity and Diversity.
1: It is now my pleasure to introduce our guest uh, speaker for this morning, a man that I've known for several years, Michael Benner. Michael uh, is best known throughout Southern California for his popular talk show programs, which he has been involved in since 1977. He has uh, had shows on various radio stations within Los Angeles, most recently KCBS FM Aero 93.1. And he is now being heard on KPFK, uh, that's 90.7 FM for those who are keeping track of those kinds of things, on Thursday nights at 11 p.m. In 1987, Michael left broadcasting as a full-time profession to begin his own business, which he calls for personal development strategies. With offices in Glendale, he provides counseling and training to individuals, couples, and businesses. As presented by Michael, personal development strategies include stress and anger management, conflict resolution and sensitivity, motivation, goal setting, problem solving, accelerated learning, leadership, teamwork and character building modules. Michael has uh, served as uh, the sports psychology consultant for the USC women's tennis team and the Burbank Burroughs High School baseball team. Uh, The California Community College's Board of Governors has granted Michael Lifetime Certification as an Instructor of Communication Arts. He has served as a member of the Los Angeles County Board of Education's Radio Broadcast Advisory Committee and the Pasadena City College Broadcast Advisory Committee. He's a federally licensed amateur radio operator, from whence I know him, and um, is the Deputy City Radio Officer for the Glendale Emergency Amateur Radio Service. He is Chairman of the Glendale Chamber of Commerce Disaster Preparedness Committee, Coordinator of the Disaster Services Volunteers for the Glendale-Crescent Valley Chapter of the American Red Cross, a member of the Red Cross Board of Directors, and a past member of the Board of Directors for the Glendale Family YMCA. Mike has received formal accolades and awards from the United Nations Association, the American Red Cross, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, the Live and Learn Foundation, the National Leukemia Broadcasters Council, the Glendale Family YMCA, and the Glendale JCs. His biography can be found in Marquis Futsu in the West, 27th edition. Michael has been on a number of, uh, as featured guests on a number of TV and radio shows in addition to his career. I have always envied Michael for his sonorous, Broadcast quality voice, which we're all going to be able to share this morning. I would like to um, just to add one personal note. Michael and I have known each other now for uh, several years, both through uh, the GEARS organization and also through the American Red Cross. And I'll tell you that Michael and I come from different backgrounds and different experiences. I think it would be fair to say that when Michael was wearing belt bottoms, I was wearing tuck-in-the-boot uh, fatigue pants. Probably need not say more, but uh, we, do come, we, come, we come from very diverse uh, backgrounds and uh, with different interests and, uh, and a lot of different things about uh, the experiences that we've had. But, you know, I have been amazed at the unity of purpose that we have shared in the organizations that we've been a part of. And I think that's a very nice segue. I laid this with you, Michael, a very nice segue into Michael's uh, presentation having to do with unity and diversity. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Michael Benner. Michael.
2: Well, thank you very much and uh, good morning, Mr. Mayor, Don, dignitaries and distinguished guests. And good morning, Glendale. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. I am indeed a Glendale resident. I've been here for 12 or 13 years. Actually, when I moved to Los Angeles 25 years ago, I lived not far from Glendale. I remember watching the Galleria being built, and that, of course, was a, a key destination if you lived in the area, and remained so. And then after bouncing around the city and living in different parts of Los Angeles, I came back to Glendale about 11 or 12 years ago. In fact, uh, I don't think I've missed more than one or two of these Mayor's prayer breakfasts in the last 10 or 12 years. I didn't really entertain the idea that I'd be up here as a a featured speaker, but I certainly am glad that I am. I feel honored and, and privileged to speak to my community. Uh, this morning, the city that I, I love for its sense of community. It's what I love most about Glendale. In fact, it was preparing this presentation this morning that I realized that the last five letters of the word community are unity. I don't know how I got to be 53 years old and never noticed that. But that's what I love about Glendale, and I bet that's one of the things that you love about Glendale, is that we don't feel lost in greater Los Angeles. We feel like we belong to a community. I'd like to acknowledge a dear friend who about, well, about 10 or 11 years ago, introduced me to the concept of public service. As a young man, I never really thought much about public service. But it was Genevieve Sultanfuss, who many of you know, of course, who introduced me to public service by introducing me to Don Gallagher, who invited me to uh, be on the board of directors of the Glendale Family YMCA, where I served for a number of years. Met people like Craig Yasi and others on the board there, on the faculty who... Caused me to realize that there really were people in the community who believed that you have to give what it is that you receive, and that these were not just platitudes, but that there were people out there really living these principles. In fact, I have a quick Don Gallagher story for you. Let well, me sweat it out for a second here. Let's see what is it he's about to say? When my wife and I decided to be married five years ago six years ago. She's in charge of the exact (laughs) dates and times. We went to Don Galler and asked him to perform the ceremony. And I said, Don, Doreen and I are planning to be married in a few weeks, and we'd be honored if you would perform the wedding ceremony. And Don, without missing a beat, said, well, Michael, I'd love to, but I'm not a minister. Well, you could have fooled me. Because Don Gallagher is one of those people who walks the walk and who lives his beliefs. And so he sure looked to me like a minister. I know his son is a minister, and I guess I just presumed that he was a minister. And then there have been other people like Don Henson who introduced me here today who Uh, asked me to be on the Red Cross Board of Directors with Carver Gay and so many other people here who many of you know. And I want to acknowledge not just these organizations, but the other public service organizations and the service groups who are represented here today for what you do for this community. Just a few weeks ago, we had what was called technically an internal disaster at uh, Glendale Memorial Hospital, where uh, an auger or a backhoe of some sort had inadvertently ripped out a big telephone cable, a thousand pairs of telephone wires, and left Glendale Memorial Hospital with no communication at all. And uh, so the amateur radio group that Don referred to was called into play, and more than 20 operators came. Many of them left their jobs came with their amateur radios to provide the communication that the hospital needed. For this was more than an inconvenience. Uh, there were patients' lives at stake. Doctors had to be called. People were concerned that they couldn't call into the hospital. The Red Cross played an important role in setting up phones. We had volunteers from all over the county come to Glendale to help with that emergency. It was remarkable to see the way people selflessly came together. I think that's what I love about Glendale. And as Don indicated, my background really is that of a journalist and a talk show host. And as a baby boomer, and a person who's always been a bit of an idealist, even in college, I was looking for a career and chose journalism that would help me understand why the world is the way it is and why there is so much tolerance of injustice and violence in the world and what we could do to make the world a better place to be in this nation, an even greater nation. And I looked at social institutions, and I looked at governments, and I said, yes, over the years, I recognize that they have very important roles to play. But fundamentally, governments and social institutions cannot solve our most basic problems. Those problems are problems of individuals, problems of families, that need to be solved by individuals in the context of their families and given to the world, not the other way around. For even I have spent much of my life buying into the idea of, you know, with apologies to Mr. Reagan, trickle-down social reform. I thought, if only we could have enough peace and freedom in the world, then maybe I could have a little peace and freedom in my life. And that we had to change the whole world in order for each of us to benefit. It's a logical assumption. It's a reasonable understanding. It just happens to be backwards. What we need to do is take responsibility for our lives. Change ourselves and give that Through the family, to the community. To change ourselves, to take responsibility for our lives. What does that mean? Well, Leo Tolstoy said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing himself. I think the basic reason for that is change is just downright scary. Even if you know things are going to be better, change is scary. I saw a bumper sticker once. It so impressed me, I followed the car for six or eight blocks to make sure I remembered the bumper sticker so I could figure out what it meant. And the the bumper sticker said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And I liked it, but I didn't know why. So as I said, I followed the guy around memorized it, thought about it, and decided what it means is that everybody wants things to be better, but not if I have to change. So we want other people to make the world better. We want the government to fix all of our problems. We want social institutions to make the world better for me, but don't make me change. Well we need change, every single one of us needs change. Whether from a social point of view you see it as reform, whether from a political point of view you see it as needed change, deregulation, and reform, or whether from a spiritual point of view you call it redemption, salvation, or atonement. The word I love for I think of atone as at one. Atoning is at one. For we are in the image and likeness of our Creator, but like a funhouse mirror, we are a distorted copy. For there was a fall, and we need change, don't we? We need redemption. We need to learn to become more God-like. And the way to do that is first to know thyself. This is an ancient understanding. It goes back 3,000 or more years. According to Plato and Socrates, the words know thyself were inscribed over the oracle to Apollo at Delphi in ancient Greece. Before recorded history even. Know thyself. The father of American psychology said pretty much the same thing, William James. There is but one cause of human failure, he said, and that is man's lack of faith in his true self, our true self, the diversity that each of us represents as individual characters and the unity that is the essence of spirituality. Even Shakespeare got a lick in here. This is one of my favorite lines from Hamlet. This above all, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the day, the night, thou canst not then be false to any man. What does this mean? It means that... If we know ourselves, then we can empathize with other people. If we are authentic and genuine and truly understand ourselves, not just what we think about ourselves, but in the, the deepest heart of hearts, how we feel about ourselves, allowing ourselves to feel, willing to grow and change, to heal the hurt, to transcend the fear, to be humble and courageous. And we can straighten things out. Instead of judging other people as a, again, backward and ineffective, even counterproductive way of knowing self, I would suggest we need to know ourselves and then empathize with other people. This is love and understanding. It's the golden rule, also. I'm sure you know the story of the Pharisee, a lawyer. Don, I have nothing bad to say about lawyers today. probably. No lawyer jokes. But a lawyer who said to Christ, Which of the commandments is the most important? For before Moses brought the ten down from Mount Sinai, the Jews had over 600 laws that they were expected to keep. They must have very much appreciated Moses getting it down to just ten. But that wasn't even enough for this fellow. He said, Of the ten, which are the most important? And Christ answers, quoting the Hebrew Bible, 1 Deuteronomy, saying, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. But he didn't stop there. He said, And there is a second law that is very much like the first, that's just as important. I'm quoting from Leviticus. He says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Think about that. Unity and diversity. The more you know about yourself, the easier it is to recognize what you know about yourself, good, bad, and otherwise, in other people. And why is that important? Because your neighbor... And you, each of us, is part of the spiritual oneness of all things, diversity and unity. Be very clear that the theme this morning is not unity or diversity, but unity and diversity. And that middle word is just as important as the two... On either side of it. Somebody asks you later today, well, how'd that marriage prayer breakfast go? What'd that fellow talk about anyway? You can say, well, he talked a little about unity and he talked a little about diversity and he talked a whole lot about and. That'll be a conversation opener for you. Because God is the love that draws us together and holds us in perfect harmony. The and is God's unitive love. We need to create a you and me world, not a you or me world. Unity we can think of as God as all that is. For there is not a Jewish God or a Muslim God or a Christian God, There is one God, and these religions are wondrously diverse, beautifully rich paths to the one God. We need to understand this. We've heard music this morning, and we've heard the word harmony. And what a beautiful example of the and that unites unity and diversity. Harmony, different notes. What made the hymn singers and the character and kids' music so beautiful was that they were not all singing the same note. They sang different notes in harmony. And it was even, as they say, the sum greater, or the, the whole greater than the sum of the parts. It was even more beautiful because of the diversity. That's the nature of harmony. We see this in the life support system, in the ecosystem, in the environment, at least I think we do, I wish more of us did, and understand that the life support system that is so essential, imperative to life, we often think food comes from grocery stores and water comes out of faucets, but in fact it's a life support system that we need to honor and respect as God's life support system. Unity and diversity, you've been a beautiful, delicate web of interdependence and interreliance. reliance Various species, none of which, even within the species, the individuals, are identical. This universe won't even replicate snowflakes. And there's a message in that. That each of us is imbued with particular diverse qualities of the one. But we have to make a deliberate conscious effort to knit together diversity and unity. To understand them not as opposites, not as a dichotomy, but part of one whole thing. It's the and that represents God's of love. Plato defined love as the longing of diversity to be won, the craving of the part to be whole, the urgency of the hurt to be healed. It's only by knowing ourselves as diverse individuals, as characters, and discovering and developing our character in search of those God-given talents that nobody else has and quite that same combination that we come to truly know ourselves and empathize with others. Love and understanding. If I had six or eight hours, which I would love, but you wouldn't, I'm used to having all day at the seminar, I would talk about the two great virtues of humility and charity. For I think sometimes we believe that with our modern technology and our new generations, our new uh, millennium, Some of these concepts are old and archaic, but they need to be appreciated. Charity, for example, is so much more than almsgiving or leaving the clothes on the front porch for the goodwill. Charity, in a theological sense, has always meant the oneness of things. A love of God in return for his love of us and the gift of life. And again, love of neighbor as thyself, for neighbor and you are truly one. Separate in body, separate in form, but one in spirit. Charity the oneness of things, humanity as a single family, and humility, the proper orientation, lest we become arrogant and vain and think somehow that we are the cause or the creator of all things. I truly like the Masonic concept of man as builder and God as architect. This is the humble relationship that we need to foster within ourselves and look for in others. You see, the basic problem is the absence of love, which is fear. Not often discussed that way, for fear is a frightening word, big, scary word. A lot of us won't admit that we're afraid, or that we spend so much of our life frightened. We think fear needs to be some big, extraordinary, uh, earthquake, jump under the table kind of situation, when in fact, tiny little bits of nervousness are fear, too. And if you want to call it nervousness or apprehension or worry or doubt or anxiety or stress, it's all fear. Someone once said fear represents false evidence appearing real. I have some friends in AA who say, no, it means forget everything and run, but... You choose. Fear is an illusion. Fear is not real. Fear is a lack of understanding. If only we knew every time we were frightened, even a little bit, not yeah, just nervous, that that feeling represented a lack of understanding, we would, as Emerson said, seek knowledge, for knowledge is the antidote to fear. Fear's not from danger. The fear that comes from danger is exceedingly rare. There is such a thing. Somebody shooting at you, wild animals, a grizzly bear chasing you up the path, all right, that fear is from danger. But the vast majority of our fear, our nervousness, our apprehension and worry is what we don't know, and at the center of that is the self, our fears of inadequacy, as we just don't know who we are. Blaise Pascal said, it is the heart that experiences God, not the reason. And so the solution to fear and the lack of understanding it represents is love and understanding. And don't those words just go together as if they were married? Love and understanding. They're really the same thing. Now, you've heard this before. Many times in your life you've heard inspirational messages that ended with love is the answer. Even in my generation, the Beatles, all you need is love. Tra la la la. And we know it's true. But we suffer from the belief that love is an emotion that happens to us. And maybe if we're lucky, love will happen to us. No, that's not the love we're talking about. We're not talking about desire. We're not talking about love as an emotion. We're talking about love as understanding, as consciousness, as awareness of the oneness of all things. And that doesn't just happen to you. That needs to be developed. And so I'm going to finish my remarks today by appealing to you to consider this phrase, the will to love to form the intention to love those who may not be all that lovable, folks. If you think of love as an emotion, you may not like them. I remember I had a teacher in catechism as a little boy, a nun, who said, and I didn't understand it at the time, but I remembered it, she said, you don't have to like everybody, but you got to love them. You don't have to like everybody's personality or the way they behave or their values or ethics, but you have to love the fact that they are a child of God. You have to love the soul in them. You have to look for the Christ, the Buddha nature, in every single individual. And then they become easy to love, easy to empathize with, easy to forgive. And this is a quality of love we call compassion. I want to finish with a story that I'm told is true, but it comes off the internet, so you can't really believe anything (laughs) that comes off the internet, which I think is good. We should be skeptical. It's about a, a father who spoke at a fundraiser for a school that serves learning disabled children, and after extolling the school and its dedicated staff, he offered this question. He said, everything God does is done with perfection. And yet my son Shay cannot learn things as other children do. He cannot understand things as other children do. Where is God's plan reflected in my son? And the audience was stilled by the query, and the father continued and said, I believe that when God brings a child like my son Shea into this world with a developmental disability... An opportunity to realize the divine plan presents itself and it comes in the way people treat each other. And then he told the story of walking by a playground with his son and a Sandlot pickup baseball game was going on. There were six or eight kids on each team. And he thought for a minute, wouldn't it be wonderful if they'd let Shay play in their game? And so dad goes over to one of the taller and apparently older boys, one of the leaders, and says, this is my son Shay, and I know you're in the middle of the game, but I thought maybe you'd let him play. Well, he sort of shrugged and told the ground and looked around and didn't really know what to do, but he was one of the leaders, and he says, well, we're behind by six runs anyway. I suppose it would not hurt, so yeah, go ahead. They gave Shay a glove, and they put him out in right field where they thought he wouldn't do much harm. And it was three up and three down, and the ball was never hit to Shea, but that was fine. He was having a great time. He couldn't believe he was out there waving to dad in the stands. Then it was time for that team to come to bat. And a couple of runs were scored, and a couple other people got on base. Guess whose turn it is to come to bat at Shea? And he doesn't even know how to hold a baseball bat. He's never played baseball before. So he stands up there, rather awkward, and the pitcher moves in a couple of steps and tosses him a soft lob. Shea misses. The pitcher comes a little closer and tosses it even a little softer. Lo and behold, Shea swings the bat and hits the ball, and it doesn't go very far, just a few feet. It's a pretty uh, dismal uh, hit, if you will, almost like a bunt. And the pitcher bends over and picks up the ball as Shea's running to first base and deliberately throws it out into right field, far over the right fielder's head. The right fielder turns and runs after the ball, and everybody's yelling, run, Shea, run, and he gets to first base, and and the right fielder still doesn't have the ball yet, and they're going, run, Shea, run second. Both teams now are cheering, run, Shea, run, as the right fielder gets the ball and... Throws it deep in the left field. <laughs> run, Shay, run! And he goes around past third base. Run, Shay, run! And Shay, of course, just can't believe it. And he's heading home as fast as he possibly can. And he scores and wins the game. And the father said that day, tears rolling down his face. The boys from both teams help bring a piece of the divine plan into this world. Let's give up our game. Let's give up our need to win at the expense of other people having to lose. That's not what competition is really about. Not defeating or grinding under our boot heel or competition. Competition is about the mutual benefit to everybody involved, to be the best that they can be. Let's give up our game and see if we don't win something even bigger than a game. Some real identity, some real understanding of who we are, as diverse characters and as one spirit in the eyes of God. Changing this world from a you or me to a you and me world brings heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you very much.